This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 236. We're spending about $50,000 a month on marketing right now. So having an agent looks and scour MLS for you, that ain't going to cut it, in my opinion. You've got to do active marketing, and we have systems set up that create deals. I mean, you're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. I'm Scott Trench, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You, 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 like the host. you already wrecked it, Scott. You already wrecked it. Josh says, What's going on, everyone? This is that's right, that's Josh right. Dorgan. What's right. going on, everybody? There we this go. is Scott Trench, host. <laughs> Of the Bigger Pockets podcast here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's up, Scott? You, you know, second time's a charm, right? Second time's a charm, yes. <laughs> that was good. So how you doing, buddy? I am doing pretty good. You know, my, my foot's recovering, so I'm able to kind of walk around and, and start to run and all that kind of stuff. So Are you playing rug, is, rugby again yet, or is, when's that come? So I hope to play rugby by the end of the month, but there's a little bit of a problem because the screw they put in actually snapped, oh. which has set me back a little bit farther than I was hoping. So... But all the bones are in good spots, and good job. Know, hopefully with some physical therapy, I'll be back on the field. Nice, nice. Yeah, Scott is a rugby player, and he's uh, he's a beast. So if you want to wrestle Scott, just give him a call. His phone number is area code. I don't even know. All right, so uh, uh, Josh Josh today is actually uh, – I saw a picture earlier. He's in the Badlands of South Dakota out in the middle of nowhere. So, for, of course, thank you, Scott, for jumping in and covering for him. Mount Rushmore, right? I, he was at Mount Rushmore. He was at Mount Rushmore yesterday, Badlands today, and I don't, I don't know where he's going tomorrow. I don't know. He's, he's all over. He got RV and he's doing his thing. So, uh, have fireworks fun. behind the mountain. Yeah, I know. I all heard the presidents. Yep, that's a pretty epic place to watch the Fourth uh, of July. Yeah, today we're recording this on the fifth of July. I'm not exactly sure what date this comes out. I think later in July. But uh, anyway, I had a, I had a good Fourth. Did you have a good Fourth? I had a great Fourth. We actually could see the fireworks right from my house. So me too. I actually sat in my hot tub and watched them out. Like for my backyard, it was pretty fun. Oh, always got to one-up me, right? I do. I, that's my goal in life. So um, uh, to today's show is amazing. I actually feel bad Josh didn't get to do this interview. Uh, this is one that I've been looking forward to for months now. Uh, this guy hit me up a while back via email and told me a little bit of his story. And I was like, this guy is legit. Let me just give you guys a quick sample of what he, we're talking about. I mean, he went from... December of 2015, right? Which was like a year and a half ago. He had 3,500 bucks to his name. Last month, he profited over 400 grand. He sent out 100,000 direct mail uh, pieces. I mean, think of that scale, like that growth. That's what we're talking about today. Unbelievable. This guy built a big business yes. in a very short amount of time, and it is incredibly impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Very, very motivating. Uh, something, I, I don't know. It's You guys are going to love it. You guys are going to love it. Whether or not you're trying to do one deal or trying to do 100 deals a, a, a month like he is doing, uh, I mean, you're going you're gonna to love this show. So listen tight for that, especially like, I mean, he, he talks a lot about negotiation. He talks a lot about just like the funnels that are involved, the, the need to run your business like a business, all this stuff. Very, very uh, the cool. Theme, the theme is, I think, underlying it all was he has a, built a disciplined, yep. effective system yes. for converting leads into profit. Yep. And, it's, uh, and, and because he's done that so well, he's benefited from some truly incredible growth. That's true. It's true. So – Listen, it's not coffee or donuts. It's not campfires or s'mores. Not peanut butter or jelly. Great things happen when two good things come together. So why choose between cash flow or appreciation? 
Rent to Retirement's new construction homes give you both. Rent to Retirement offers newly built homes that attract the best tenants with fewer repairs in outstanding rental markets. That means more monthly cash flow for you and plenty of equity growth in the background. Plus, their creative financing options let you buy investment properties with just 5% down. Not 20%, not 10%, 5% down. Rent to Retirement offers turnkey new construction homes already built, leased, and managed for you. Their investing experts find the best markets that consistently offer double-digit returns and prices as low as $150,000. And they've got more five-star reviews than any company on Bigger Pockets. You invest, Rent to Retirement does the rest. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG. That's N-R-E-I-G provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Last thing before we end the show, we have to get to today's quick. Quick. That was so... That was so delayed, Scott. That was so delayed. Uh, today's quick tip. Why don't you take it, Scott? Today's quick tip is if you are interested in hard money or private lending, go check out the Bigger Pockets Hard Money directory at biggerpockets.com slash hardmoneylenders. That's actually mentioned in today's show as well. And there, as a borrower, you can see hundreds of lenders all across the country. And as a lender, you can go and advertise your business. As always, with any lender, make sure you do due diligence on the lender and make sure it's a good fit for you. Yep. Hey, hey Scott, if I... Uh wanted to advertise my business on BP. Like, let's say I'm a, anything, right? I'm a real estate agent. I'm a whatever. Uh, you're kind of the head of all BP kind of like, uh, what do we call it? I don't know, sales, but whatever that is, right? Business like, development. Business development. How do I get in touch? I mean, what do I do if I want to use bigger pockets to reach more people? 
Awesome. You can go to biggerpockets.com slash advertise and send an email directly through there and, and I'll check it out. One thing to note with the advertising stuff is we really only directly work on advertising with people that are interested in marketing to the entire national audience as of at, at the time of this recording, at least. If you're more of a regional person, you know, you have your your, your business that serves, you know, Milwaukee or, or Tampa, Florida or something like that, or even the whole state of California. That's that's kind of the use for the pro membership. You can advertise your business in the marketplace there. Yep. The stuff that I work with is really like, you know, I'm a national lender and I could loan in all 50 states and I want to put out some content there, like our sponsors on today, on the show. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, I thought I'd throw that in there. Now let's get to the show because today's show is incredible. And last thing I'll say before we get to it, if you've not yet left us a rating or review in iTunes, please do so. With that, let's get to the show. All right, Lance, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. I, I'm excited to have you on here today. You know, you emailed me a while back a few months ago and kind of told me your story. And I was like, we need to get you on the show. Like you have, uh, awesome. yeah, you have an awesome story. Uh, you've done a lot of cool stuff. So, uh, you were, we're excited to dig into that. And you did a lot well, of cool I'm stuff excited in to a finally... very short time. Yeah. In a very short yeah, time. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. cool. Well, let's go to the beginning. I mean, before real estate, I mean, what, what'd you do? How'd you get into real estate investing? Like kind of walk us through that beginning steps there into your first deal. Well, so the, the beginning, there's a few different beginnings. So I went on, I'm Mormon. I'm like LDS Mormon. So I went on a mission. Okay. And my mission was from 2006 to 2008. I was in Belgium and France. So 2006, when I left, the world was amazing. I got back in October of 2008 and the sky had fallen. And so we found a house that was really close to the university that I was going to go to. I got back, I was 21 and was able to work out a deal on like a, um, a wrap mortgage type of thing. And it was great because it was a six bedroom, four bathroom home, like two units and upstairs and a downstairs unit. And so I house hacked. I was, I, I lived in one room. I shared it with another dude, rented it to him. Every other room was leased out and full and the house was just packed with people. And I made like 1500 bucks a month. And I thought I was the smartest guy in the world and paid the mortgage. All the utilities were paid. So it was like my first deal where I kind of experienced real estate and got to see what it was like to just have that, that income coming in. I lived, you know, not in the best circumstances, but I was 21. So who cared? Right. This was my first deal. And it really was, uh, came to me as a just kind of factor of the economy and the economic state of things at the time. So that was, that was my very first real estate experience. That's awesome. It's funny, uh, Scott, you and I always seem to be on the shows together with the people who house hack. This is like, I think the third one. Yep. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Cause Scott's yeah. a big house hacking guy. I'm a big house hacking guy. And Lance, I didn't know you are, but you are too. That's awesome. And everybody turned seems out to that feel way. Everyone seems to feel it was a really smart decision at the time. So yeah. <laughs> something going on. Yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. works. Yeah. So tell hey, I mean, saving that money was like huge for me at the time, right? Because 300 bucks a month, that was like everything I would get paid at my like $8 an hour job. You know, it was like, so, so it was a big deal not to have to pay that and getting the additional income was huge. So obviously well, I did the natural thing and bought a motorcycle. <laughs> what was your job <laughs> at the time? Um, I actually was a maintenance tech at a like 350 unit apartment complex. Oh, okay. I did have some other interesting experience in high school with real estate. I was growing up in Hawaii and I, I was living there from about 2000 to about 2006 when I went on my mission. And so during that time, real estate in Hawaii went from, you could buy a home, like no joke. You can, you can even look it up on County records. Like in 2000, you could buy homes on an acre in Hawaii for 95, like 95,000 bucks got you 2000 square foot home on an acre, gorgeous views, the whole deal. 2006, same home. 1.5 million. 
it was like insanity in Hawaii. So I worked with these guy, this, this dude who was like crazy drunk old dude. And uh, he was a carpenter and his wife was a real estate agent. So she'd buy him, he'd fix him up and they'd resell him. And he used me as his worker slave for 10 bucks nice. an hour. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world because I was 15 making more money than anyone else I knew <laughs> and uh, learned about flipping homes and, and how they were doing it. I didn't learn a ton because at the time I was like, whatever. Yeah. I just want to go hang out with girls and surf. Yep. But um, I really learned about seeing, seeing them go through the process was really cool. And I knew it was like, ah, I want to do this, but like, what do you do in college to do this? And that didn't really, didn't really click for me at the time. Makes sense. It's interesting. Like a lot of like, you know, when I think of my early, like high school, college days before real estate investing, a lot of like the little experiences I was in helped define like later, like when I look back, I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense that I was learning these little things here and there. Uh, but I never realized I'd be in real estate. So yeah. Interesting. So, all right, so let's move forward. And so you got your first house hack, you know, what came next at that point? After that, as, as things were slowly getting better with the economy, I did a, I did a, a remote flip in Arizona. I had a friend who had been flipping homes and buying them at the auctions or whatever was going on in 2009, 10. And uh, he bought a home. We flipped it. It didn't work out that well. I made like nothing basically on the house. It was a bunch of work and headache. And so then I was like, whatever. And during that time, I'd started some used car dealerships. And so I really like was focusing more on those and they were really growing. I went from, I actually, I actually house hacked my car dealership. It was awesome. <laughs> so, um, so I found this like huge garage for rent for 1500 bucks a month. It was like 12 garage bays. And then I had a big office and a teeny tiny, like closet office. So, and then I had a really big parking lot for parking cars. So I leased, I leased the office from this car dealer and, and the garage and everything. I immediately relisted it and lease the garage space to a mechanic for $1,500 a month. Nice. Covered it. Then I went to college and I found these dudes who were like, dude, I want to be a car dealer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, come, come be a car dealer with me. Like I'll make you a salesman 500 bucks a month each. So I found five guys who wanted to do it 500 bucks a month each. Plus I was also house hacking my house at the time. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> Plus I was selling cars and making money. So I got more and more into the car thing. And I, I was going to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. And at BYU, I was like entrepreneur of the year a couple years in a row because I had like a restaurant going. I had all these different kind of entrepreneurial things. And this is like going from 2009, 10, 11, 12. Then in 2013, crap didn't just hit the fan. It was like a giant grenade filled with crap that exploded all over me and like <laughs> everything that had anything to do with me. It all came crashing down. Like I was married. I had a little girl. We got divorced. My best friend died. He was 26. Wow. He just had, he was in a hospital working, had heart failure, dropped dead. That was it. Like wow. nothing could have been done to save him, you know, just thing after thing. And it kind of all culminated with uh, my brother. He was 22. He went into a dentist office to get a tooth removed, ended up choking to death on the gauze oh and died. And so that was in about a, about an 18 month period. When, when that happened, I had two car dealerships at the time, one in, in Nevada, uh, in Las Vegas. And the other one was in Provo, Utah. And so when that happened, it was like just crushing. I went up to Utah for the funeral. I'd actually just gotten to Vegas. I'd been there for 15 minutes. I drove down and my dad called me and told me what happened. So I got in the car and drove back and my manager of my dealership in Vegas knew I was leaving, decided it was a good idea to start using meth or something. I don't know exactly what happened still to this day, 
but he took every single car he could with every single title he could and went and sold them. And then, um, the companies that give you like lines of credits for vehicles, they do inspections and there's a bunch of cars missing. They're like, give us the money. And I was in Utah for like funeral, like all this other stuff going on and didn't have the money. And so from having a ton of money and everything going great, it was rock bottom to like, like no joke, like people from the state level are like calling me, like trying to not arrest me, but not good things, you know, not good things. And so I did the natural thing and went and lived in my parents' basement in Hawaii for a while and just kind of hid, let, let things blow over and um, tried to figure out my life again with like no brother and just all of this stuff going on. I knew I had talent and ability and could could do things, but it all come crashing down. So it really hurt my motivation to like do more and to try again. I was like really broken. Yeah. So when that happened, since then, everything settled out. We've, I've corrected everything. All that's been taken care of. During that, I actually, there's some good things that came out of it. About a week before my brother died, I met my, my current wife and um, she went with me to Hawaii and she like took care of me and helped me get through everything. And so after that had all happened, a buddy of mine who had bought a house in like 2010 or whenever the Obama like tax 7,500 deal was going on, yep. he bought a house to get that. And it was like, it was a massive house, like 5,000 square foot house, biggest in the neighborhood. And it was, it was literally around the corner from the house that I had bought and house hacked. And so he was out of cash. So, um, my parents were like, well, why don't you fix up his house? I I could do construction work, but I really shouldn't. (laughs) So uh, me and and a buddy of mine basically made it our full-time jobs to, uh, to fix up this house. And we went through and it was, dude, it was like the rehab of all rehabs. Now looking back, I'm like, I was so stupid to do that, knowing what I know now. But uh, it it turned out okay. We ended up selling the home and basically breaking even. Why do you say that? Why were you stupid to do that? Man, because if you ran the numbers, it was like, I think we spent like 200K on repairs or something stupid. It was (laughs) like, just, it was stupid numbers. And uh, the amount of time, like, it, it, w- it was stupid to do as a deal, but as a learning experience, it was priceless Like yeah. to learn. Cause it's like, dude, we fixed, we had to dig out, it had a basement. It was in Utah. So we had to dig out the foundation with a backhoe the whole way around the house. We had to repair the foundation. We, we replaced everything in that house, HVAC, roof, plumbing, electrical. Like I can, I can wire a whole house. I can plumb a whole house. I can do all that stuff now because we had to, we didn't have the money to sub it out. So either figure it out or, lose, lose a bunch of money. So we, we finished it and we sold the house and it, it all went well, but as learning experience, it was great as a way to make money. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> How much would those repairs have been if you'd contracted it all out? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> it w- we would have lost even more money. It was like, looking back at it now, it was like, it was like giving a toddler a cow and being like, eat this, here's your food. And it's food, right? You could eat it. But for a toddler to eat a cow is just like, what do you, what do you do? So you just, you know, start working on it. And it's like, we got it done. It took a year and it was like, it was brutal. And it, but it was, I mean, there were good things about it. My dad was over there. He, he's a professor at BYU. So he would come over cause it was right next to campus. He'd come over every day after work on his off days and he'd work right alongside me. And it was a good bonding experience for us after, you know, my brother was his only other son, his only other child. And so it was a good experience for us to become closer during that time. Yeah. And to kind of repair what had been happening. And, and so, um, so yeah, so during that t- 
time, my goal was to kind of figure out what I was going to do next. Right. Cause I hadn't even, I still haven't graduated college. I hadn't graduated college. So I went back and did a little bit more classes, but my degrees in French because it was quick <laughs> and easy and I already spoke French. So I was like, yeah, this is the quickest, easiest way to graduate, but it's pretty worthless. Right. So I was kind of going to school, kind of just trying to figure things out. And, and we'd, we'd finished up this house. After that, I moved to Texas where my ex-wife had moved with my daughter and uh, was like, mm, I don't know what to do here. So I got a job at a, at a nine to five being a project manager for a remodeling company. And it was absolute hell. It was like 200 miles a day in a car and just brutal, brutal. So was, that was the only nine to five job, the only W2 job I've had in my life. Since other than like those weird jobs I had during high school, but uh, since that I've had and I, I was able to last a whopping three months until uh, my second my second child was born and uh, I quit the day he was born, which most people would be like, you're an idiot. But whatever, you know, we figured it out. So and that led us to trying to do our own our own uh, house flipping thing in Texas. And so I got started doing that and we bought a little tiny house in McKinney where the city I was living in for forty thousand bucks spend another 45 or so fixing it up. And then we, uh, we were going to sell it. And we decided to turn it into a rental for, and we still have it as rental today and we rent it for $1,350. And we bought that in very end of 2015, very beginning of 2016. So about 18 months ago. Wow. So like, so everything we're going to talk about here in a minute, like has happened in the last roughly 18 months. Like every, yeah, every, everything, everything for that have been an actual real estate investor since I quit my job was October 3rd, it's 21 months because my, my boy just turned 21 months old. It's 21 months since then, but I didn't actually start doing this stuff until uh, my, my first real deal, I guess, was in March of 2016. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's crazy. So in the last little over a year, uh, how yeah. about, let, let's fast forward to the very end and summarize up and then we'll go back. How many total things okay. have you done now in the past, like roughly year and a half? Oh man. So I just, I just looked and right now we have 86 properties under contract. Um, we are, we, we're sending out like 125,000 mailers a, a month right now. And we've got 13 employees. I think last month we did just under 400,000 in sales. And that's like revenue from wholesale deals, not the total price of the sale of the home. That's like our net portion out of a wholesale or wholesale deal that's our portion. It was like, we did 400,000 last month. So wow. it's been so, but, but first, first, before yeah. I, I get into what happened, the 200 miles a day I was driving in my car, I discovered bigger pockets. I listened to every single podcast twice, <laughs> every single one. Wow. So really to me, it turned into professor, professor Dorkin and professor Turner. <laughs> teaching me what to do. And I listened to those podcasts and there's some like the Michael Quarles shows and some of those other shows where I listened to them three, four, five, six times. And I'd go back to segments of those shows and re-listen to them to learn how to negotiate and to learn how to do certain parts of it. But at the end of the day, I was like a, a fire ready aim kind of guy. Like I would just contract properties, no clue how I was going to pay for them, no clue how to assign stuff, like no clue of the documentation I needed, no clue of anything, and I'm just made it work. But I attribute a huge amount of this to Bigger Pockets because the first several wholesale deals I did, I sold them to people I met at Bigger Pockets meetups. Like it was so influential on my life. And this isn't like a plug 
it is a plug for you guys, but it was <laughs> well, it's you. not something that you guys were like, hey, you should talk about this. It was legitimately listening and the information, the learning that I got from it was insanely valuable because I applied it. And so honestly, I got to thank the bigger pockets community and especially Brandon and Josh, because my life like Christmas 18 months ago, a buddy had borrowed my truck to move. And I had like a big dually truck and he had crushed both the humps backing up a trailer, oh, crushed them. I got $3,500 of insurance money from that. That's literally what kept my family alive and gave my kids some semblance of a Christmas. I had nothing. I had no money, nothing. And now it's like, like we were joking because we just, we've lived here for two years now in DFW and we moved here. My parents had to help us with the down payment. We just moved last week. And we had the whole down payment for the house ourselves. We've got extra money left over, like completely different night and day over a two year period. And the biggest educational change and the biggest thing that affected it was bigger pockets for me. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I'm so, going to like, I'm going to take that quote. And like, yeah. I'm going to take that quote and throw it up on Instagram <laughs> or something. That's amazing. Because seriously, like, that. people say, people say that getting rich quick and stuff doesn't exist. And I don't know by what standard or if I'm rich or whatever, but I feel like 18 months to do it is awesome. And it's just, it's just going bigger and faster now. And it's, it's amazing. So let's talk so. about, let's talk about why that is. I mean, why I know people who 18 months ago were telling me that they wanted to get into real estate and I still talk to them now and they're still trying to get into real estate and people who have been trying for 10 years to get into real estate, they've bought in one deal, two deals, three deals. What was it different about you and your journey that, that helped you take off in such a, a dramatic way? Well, quitting my job created a sink or swim situation. So it was either, I either made it work or didn't eat. So I made it work. I mean, there was, there wasn't a choice. I had kids. It was like, I gotta make this happen. My wife's also amazing. She got her real estate license. And so the fact that she's had that and I've been able to um, not be a realtor because that wouldn't help me at all, but having access to her knowledge yeah. and, and what she's learned and MLS and those sorts of things has, has been hugely helpful to me. So she, her and I work together every day. We, we run the business together and we have two other business partners and the four of us run it. And she's been a huge contributing factor for me because man, most wives would have just murdered their husband. She's like in the hospital, <laughs> like, Hey, quit my job. <laughs> So, but she, she supported it the whole way through. And so did my parents and, and everybody else around me. So that was, that was a big deal after such a big failure for me. So let's go into the specifics here. So you, you started with a $3,500 insurance settlement. That's how you kind of got enough to get through Christmas in 2015. Is that right? And then come, mm-hmm. come early 2016, you buy the $45,000 house with 47,000 in repairs. how did you fund that deal? And then what was the, what was the process like after that? So my, my parents had sold that house in, in Utah and gotten their money back from that. And they wanted to invest in some rentals. So they actually did that deal. And that deal to this day, hasn't really made me any money. It just kind of kept me busy during that time. What what happened is I, I started doing some mailers. So in January, I used some of that insurance money to do some mailers in January and I got some response and I was focusing in like a downtown McKinney area. And this area is, it's got homes that were built starting in 1850 And it's a very unique area and it's got a street that splits the sides. And so there's an east and west side. The west side, you can get over $300 a square foot for property. On the west side, the east side is a little bit more rental friendly. And so 
we, we started buying some homes over there with my parents. Um, I never really made any money from that. But what happened is I contracted um, from the mailers and just kind of networking and things. Ended up contracting three homes in March. And one of them, uh, I contracted with uh, a friend of mine. Her name's Jamie Woolley. And she, I met her at a Bigger Pockets meetup. And we contracted this house. And I was like, we're going to flip this house. And she's like, yeah, we should flip it. And it was like two houses down from a house that she had bought to flip. And she ended up wholesaling. And she bought it for a 90 and she wholesaled it for one, 130. And so she's like, you know, the guy who bought my house, I think would want to buy this house. And so I was like, okay. So we wholesaled it for 180 and we contracted it for 150. And this was an MLS deal. This was something we found on MLS and we wholesaled it for 180, contracted at 150, and uh, we split it 15 each. I had two other properties under contract at the time, one that I contracted at 110 and another one I contracted at 100. I was at a bigger pockets meetup. And I was talking to some of these people and they're like, dude, do you have any property? I really need a flip. Like they just finished up a deal and they're like, I can't find a deal. So I was like, I mean, yeah, I got some deals, but they're my deals. You know, you can't have my deals. And I was, they're like, <laughs> well, we really need a deal. I'm like, well, you can have my deals if you pay me enough for them. And they're like, well, how much you want? And I'm like, for the one for 110, I was like, I want 140. And they're like, okay. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Like I never really made any money flipping homes. But wholesaling, it was like 30,000 bucks, boom, 15, wow. boom. And then and then I had another one that I contracted at uh, 100 and I sold it at 125 and it was like, boom, 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 all this money coming in. So I was like, like again, did the natural thing. Matter of months. Yeah. So I did the natural thing and bought a Tesla, you know, <laughs> the smart thing to do. <laughs> there's like there's like this thing that a lot of real estate investors this go pattern. and buy Teslas. Yeah, this pattern. I think uh, yeah. Ben Leibovich and uh, uh, Serge Shukat both have Teslas. I think uh, – well, this has got a Tesla. There's a couple other people who've been on the podcast that got them. Uh, I'm still working on that. We'll get there. I built myself an electric you gotta, bike. Nice. You got to buy the nice. used one. So I got like I got a used one. So it's like go. fifty thousand bucks instead of hundred and fifty. So <laughs> I recommend little, I recommend the used route. A little better. So let me let me for those people listening right now, let me just uh, cover a couple of things. First of all, wholesaling. In case you guys aren't familiar, it's basically where you find a property that's a really good deal. You put it under contract, and then you somehow there's different ways to do it: assign it or double close or whatever to a, usually a flipper. And so the flipper ends up doing the work. You're basically just doing kind of the, the boots on the ground, finding the deals and then getting them to somebody else. So just uh, in case people are like, what's wholesaling? That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Is, that, is that all you do? I mean, like, is that all you do? Or have you done a lot more since? I've done other stuff. Like, so my parents have, uh, in the interest of retirement, they have started a, uh, a company that buy and holds properties. And right now I think it's 13 units. And we're trying to finish up closing on an apartment complex right now that'll put us at 25 total units for, for that business. That's very separate. And that's like maybe an hour a week of my time. I mean, I don't spend almost any time on that. They're all leased. I've got guys that go in and, and do the rehabs. But the reason that it works so well is because we're buying them at the wholesale prices. So when we're buying stuff at 50, 60 cents on the dollar, those rental numbers are amazing, you know, versus when you go on the MLS and you're buying stuff at 90, maybe 95 cents on the dollar. It's really hard to make it work. And so there's, there's deals we buy that are still hitting 2% rule because we're able to find those properties and contract them at such a good price. And being a 2% inside a DFW is like gold mine. Can you explain so, what 2% rule is for those who don't know? Yeah. So 2% is a, uh, it's 2% of the purchase price. So this property, the example I'll give you is we bought it for 120. It leases out for 2,400. So $2,400 a month is 2% of $120,000. And the thing people ask so, me, people say to me all the time, yeah. they're like, I can't find a 2% deal. Should I not invest in real estate? What's your answer to that? 
Because they hear this 2% rule all the time on bigger pockets. That is such a cop out answer. I mean, in my (laughs) opinion, there's 2% deals are everywhere if you're willing to find, I mean, okay, not everywhere, but they're, they're there if you're willing to do the work for finding them and you're willing to create the skill set in yourself to be able to negotiate and make those deals happen. Who in their right mind, tell me, Brandon, who would be like, Hey, I got this 2% deal. Do you want it? Yeah. Would you do that? If you had a 2% deal, would you give it to somebody else? Not at all. You would keep it. Yep. So what makes anybody think that they can just be like, Hey, I'll take 2% deals over here. It's like, no, you got to go out there and earn it, go and find it and make it happen. If you want, wait for it to come to you, forget it. You're never going to get the deals. You got to go and earn them skill sets. I mean, before this, we were talking about the books you read. I mean, Brandon, I know you read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. I do spend a ton of time educating myself. And that's what enables me to create a situation where I can get these deals that make money. Yeah. So let's go into that. How, how are you finding these deals? What, is, what are your tactics? What are, what are the methods that you're using to find these deals that no one else is finding and, and put them into your rental portfolio? And marketing, we spend, we're spending about $50,000 a month on marketing right now. So having an agent looks and scour MLS for you, that ain't going to cut it. In my opinion, you've got to do active marketing and we have systems set up that create deals. I mean, we have people call in that are like, go to hell, never call me again. Stop sending me this mail. How did you get my address? And then we somehow buy their home and (laughs) make money on it. I mean, being able to take people in that position and put them through our process and have them sell to us. And there's obviously people come who call in and they need to sell and they, they've got a situation. And so we help them and, and resolve situations for them. So to answer your question marketing, I mean, we spend a ton of money on marketing and then when a lead comes in our ability to capture those leads, like we answer calls live, none of this voicemail crap, like everything is done correctly as to how I can learn to do it from the people who are the absolute best in the business. Um, I've studied exactly what they do and applied. And during 2016, I'm not a guru guy, but during 2016, I spent over $200,000 on education. Wow. There's a bigger pockets education, which took me and got me started. And I understood everything. And I did some deals. I took the money I made from that deals. I did buy a Tesla, but I spent a ton (laughs) of money also on education. I mean, and this isn't guru weekend workshop crap. This is partnerships with people who are adding value to me and my business. This isn't like 30,000 bucks. And I sit there and I'm like, I'm not getting anything from this. When I get out of this, I won't be able to do a deal. This is like, Hey, your company does my marketing. I will answer the phones and I will convert the leads. And you will teach me how to do that better while you're doing my marketing. And I'll pay you a premium to do my marketing. That was one of the partnerships I set up. Another partnership I set up was teach me your process. From, from when you start thinking about doing marketing through when a deal funds and closes and everything in between. And I, I did that with them, but I had to split every single deal I did with them for six months. I mean, it was, it was very costly, but now I have a process that is my own and I've taken the best things I can find from other places and created this process that, that works. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been great. Well, I want to dig I want to dig into that process a little bit. I mean, like, let's start with uh, marketing. I'm assuming you're talking about direct mail marketing. Earlier, you said 100,000 pieces a month, $50,000 a month. Is that like, that's crazy amounts of money. Mm-hmm. How did you scale to that? I mean, I want to dig into a lot of your direct mail stuff, but how did you scale to that point? I mean, what was your first, how many did you send out at first? And how did you get to sending 100,000 pieces of mail? So the first thing I did was I identified an area that was exploitable, which was, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. I'm not like, I'm not a shark. I don't go after it was, it was, there was, there is a, 
people are missing stuff in the market because the cost to essentially build new in DFW, it obviously depends on the quality of the build and things, but it's like 65 to 85 bucks a square foot to, to build new. And there's these properties you could buy for $100 a square foot. And then when they're rehabbed, you can sell them for $200 a square foot. And to build new is 60 to 85. So there's this money left here in, in this area of McKinney. And so I, I started just working that area and I made that like my area. Like I knew every street, I knocked on doors, I talked to homeowners, I did everything I could to get deals in that area. And when I got them, I used that money and spent it on marketing. It was like always going back out in marketing, but that small area, because it was a small area, I was able to focus in that area. Love that. And that created a situation where I could um, recognize deals very quickly. I learned how to recognize deals there. And then once I learned how to do it there, the Metroplex was really the next step. So um, we we went and started my first mailing. It was actually like a was land only deals. And um, I sent out 600 postcards from like yellow letters or something. And I got one phone call and I bought one lot and uh, and that was it. And then I kept working on it and it was did a, a, a thousand campaign. And, and these are the ones I was doing in January. And then in April, after I'd made some good money, I made my first partnership and they kind of controlled how much marketing was going out. And so we were sending out, I think about 15,000 postcards a month with them. And they actually took the calls and answered them for me and then transferred them over to me when they were good leads. So I learned how to negotiate and contract a property and sell them and do all that stuff. And, and then during that year, I also had the other partnership. And, and so there was a good amount of marketing going on. And then um, in December, I started doing uh, 25,000 a month. January, I think it was 25. February was 50. You know, March was 75. We just upped to 100, I think, in April. And now we're upping to 125 in July. That's just insane. those are 125,000 postcards a month. And so the, the biggest thing that's holding us back right now is my ability to quickly train people to fill the positions quickly, but effectively train people to fill the positions to take all the calls. Like that's our biggest problem is we've yeah. got so many deals. Our problem is managing them all. It's not finding them yep. because they're there. Everyone else is just too lazy to go and find them. No offense to anybody no, else. It's, in the it's so <laughs> <laughs> so I got a question here. How many homes yeah. are in the Metroplex? Uh, lots, I think a couple million. I, okay. I know that number, but it's, it's between one and 2 million. So you're going to hit on average every home in the, in the, the, the entire Metro area every year well, at this rate, right? Oh, no, be, because I mean, so a rich guy like Brandon, he goes out and buys his home <laughs> for cash, right? Yeah. I mail him a postcard and I'm like, Hey, Brandon, sell me your home for 50 cents on the dollar that you just paid cash for it. What's Brandon going to say? Nope. 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 Right. So your, your list, in my opinion, wholesaling, it all starts with your list. <laughs> and the only proprietary thing about wholesaling is how you acquire your list. And the, the list is extremely important because it's, it's where it's all, it all starts. You need to be able to find these people that have these situations that they can't resolve. Like we've done deals where we had to, uh, we had to pay an attorney so this guy's in jail for life. He <laughs> murdered a 96 year old woman and this dude is blind. So even if, <laughs> if he needs to sign off for us to sell this house. So it's like, I, I send him the paperwork. He can't read it. Right. It has to be notarized. The notary can't notarize it if he can't read it. 
So we had to pay his attorney $500 to drive out to his jail in Florida, not in Texas. <laughs> and we had to find that attorney and then we had to convince him to do it. And then we had to pay them to do it. And they actually had to go out and do it. And we had no clue if he would sign the paperwork. He's crazy. He, he, he was a murderer. Like he's crazy. And he went out there and signed the paperwork. And it's like some, that owner of that property, they had hired a real estate agent, put that on the MLS. What agent is going to figure out how to do that and solve that problem for that person? None of them. And what agent's going to take $500 out of their pocket? And this is on a, this is on a house we bought for $13,000, right? So your agent commission is like 300 bucks yeah, or whatever. It's nothing. So it, there's a place in the market for us. And we are specifically targeting people who have these problems on the titles of their home, because that's a, something we can recognize. And so we're very specifically targeting these people. And when, when they call in, we understand how to show them that we can help them. So let me, let me take this down to a level that like most of our listeners aren't going to send a hundred thousand pieces. Right. But what, can you talk directly to some people right now that are saying, you know, I want to send out my first direct mail campaign next month. What do they do? Who do they send to? Like, can you give them some advice for those newbies that are getting started with direct mail? Well, step one is equity, right? If they just got an FHA loan for a property, they put 3% down and they get into a situation where they need to sell and they just bought it a year ago. Um, probably ain't going to happen. Like there's no equity in there. They bought it on the MLS. They used agents. That's not happening. You need people to have equity. So if you're not looking at people who have equity and I'm talking like 30, 40, 50% of equity in their home, it's a waste of your time. Unless you want to be a subject to guy or, or do something else. And in that case, do that. Don't try and wholesale. But it's, it's all about, that's the beginning. If they don't have equity, you don't have a wholesale deal. That makes sense. And how do you find that out? There's, there's a lot of different ways. The problem is you got to look at how they're getting that information. And so there's different, there's, there's tricky things and it gets even trickier in non-disclosure states and Texas is a non-disclosure state. So states like Hawaii that are not non-disclosure. So non-disclosure is when they will make public information, how much somebody paid for a home. And uh, Hawaii makes that complete. And I say Hawaii because I, I, I know why they, they'll disclose that for you in Texas. You have no clue what anybody else paid for their home unless they left that information on the MLS. And so figuring out that equity percentage is difficult and you really need uh, a lot of experience with doing it. And I'm, I'm not really an expert on, on how to do that. We, we do do it. And my knowledge of the, exactly how we do it is rather limited. Sure. So, is that because, I mean, you, uh, hi, you hire other people, essentially companies, you partner with people to do direct mail. And I think there's a lesson to be pulled out of there, right? Like you don't have to do everything. Like there are companies that will do direct mail marketing for you that will help you with the marketing thing, but it's going to cost you, right? So we do, we do our marketing. I'm sorry. Okay. We do our marketing, but we don't do our lists. So we have someone else do our lists and it's easy as that. So uh, cool. we, we just found somebody that works well with us. And, um, and, and so that, that's how we do that portion of our marketing. Okay. It seems to me like another part of this is when you first get started, your list was smaller and perhaps I'm venturing to say that is maybe a little bit more targeted than it is today. And is, would you say that part of that expansion of growth is because your systems and closing these deals and finishing the transactions out has improved, enabling you to kind of widen your funnel. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so before I had to be super targeted and super specific in an area I knew because I couldn't afford to, to be wrong ever. Like if somebody was getting mail, I needed them to call and I was getting, I mean, 
I was sending out like thousand postcards and my response rate was like 10%. It was like stupid. Now, if I could get a 10% response rate, I'd be on an Island somewhere, but yeah, what, um, what is your response yeah, rate? Now? <laughs> Do you know what you're one to two? Okay. One to two percent. And it just depends. I mean, there's so many factors when you deep dive into it. Like if your mail hits on the wrong day, that's effective. I mean, this week, yesterday was Fourth of July. We didn't even bother mailing this week. We can't because it's like so we're just going to double up mail next week because this week it's like, man, if we market who first of all, mail's not going out every day. There's there's all these factors. And so it's so it's so touchy once you're really doing it at scale. But uh, one of the keys is just understanding uh, how people are going to receive that. And then, and then repetitivity, repetitivity, being repetitive. <laughs> okay. So th- those are things that work really well for us. And how often do you mail people? I mean, like, are they getting a postcard every month from you every quarter, once a year, yeah. every month, every, every month. Say, so a person every month, they get the postcard. Is it? Yeah. We switch it up every three months or so. So we'll, okay. we'll, we'll kind of, we'll kind of blow people up for about three months. And then, um, and then after that, we, uh, are, there are people who do stay on our list, but a, a good chunk of it kind of changes over because a lot of those homes are sold. I mean, it's silly to be mailing somebody whose home sold. And so it, it does get changed. And, and a lot of these people are in situations where uh, their homes are going to sell. And so it, it does get changed. And every three months or so, we try and change that every quarter. Okay. Very cool. So moving past this kind of wholesaling piece, you know, you, so you started off, you got the, you started wholesaling some deals. You had this $45,000 property. You've acquired some rentals. I think you mentioned that you also have done a few flips or is, has that been part of your portfolio and maybe some sites to build that kind of stuff? Can you touch on that? Yeah, stuff? I have a build going on right now. A ground up build as uh, just a cheap lot that I bought and uh, it made sense to build. So we're doing a build right now. Fix and flips. I've done, I don't know now probably a couple dozen at this point. Whenever I do them though, I'm never involved in the actual flipping of the property. That's I, I try and stay as far away from that as I can, just because it's doing the work. I've realized, Oh, I can pay somebody 15, maybe 20 bucks an hour to do a lot of the work. Now there are some skill sets that you need for certain things that you do have to pay more for, but I know my time is worth a lot more than 15 or 20 bucks an hour. So I really try and separate myself. If there is a flip, I mean, as a company now, I, we never take on flips. And the the only time we would is if we closed on a property and couldn't sell it and our only exit was either lose money or flip, I think we'd probably flip it, but we haven't had that happen yet. Yeah. So it, we, we try and avoid them just because scalability, we've built a system and we spent so much time on our system and process that going outside of that is is silly for us because we're so good at what we do it's like, why would you have, why, why would you like, it's why you take your car to a mechanic, right? Like I could probably get through and fix my car and watch a bunch of YouTube videos and figure it out, but there'd be a lot of swearing, a lot of like <laughs> bloody knuckles and a lot of grease and a lot of frustration and no car for a week. And so it's just, it's better for me to just let someone else do that piece and give up that money that yeah. I would be able to save or make. So I like that. I like that. So Let's talk about that system a little bit more because, you know, you spend a lot of time working on the system. And obviously, in order to do that volume of deals, you have to have a pretty solid system. Uh, first question is, what software do you use to manage everything, like all that, the flow? Pipe drive. What is that called? Pipe, Pipe drive. drive. I have not even it's heard of that. It's a CRM. It's a sales CRM. It is very, 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 very basic. It's like you could show a five-year-old how to do it and they could they could move stuff around and play with it in there. It's really simple and that's why we like it. 
Nice. I'm gonna check that. I'm gonna, yeah, I like that. I'm going to check that out a little later because uh, I had not heard of that. But okay, so then the walk us through your system in terms of like you send out the direct mail marketing, somebody calls. So somebody in your team answers that call. What happened? I mean, like can, walk us through beginning to end uh, in like a you know minute period, like overall what happens to the lead? They, they call in. We differentiate people who are motivated from people who are not. People who are who are motivated get escalated to acquisitions managers. They negotiate and contract the properties. To me, it's all about negotiation. You're uh, one of the amazing things about real estate is negotiation is there, and you can negotiate that. So we negotiate and contract the property. Once the property is contracted, there's a lot of documentation that really goes into a deal. And so we have uh, originally we were having acquisitions managers do document collection. We switched over to having document collectors do document collection. And now, and then once the documents are all collected, everything goes through title. Once the property clears title, because that's a huge thing when you're wholesaling is marketing a, t- a property before it's cleared title is opening yourself up to look like an idiot. And so clearing title is very important. Once title's cleared, then we market the property out to our buyers list and uh, through a bunch of other channels, contract the sale of that property and then close. So that's basically the process we go through, which is pretty much what every wholesaler goes through, I think. Sure. That makes sense. You know, one thing that I, I noticed in your story, and I, I talk about this a lot. I do it on talk about it on Bigger Pockets webinars. We talk about it on the podcast a lot. Is is this deal funnel and like your explosion seems to be largely fueled by the what I call like the deal funnel, which is basically if you want to buy. You know, people come to me all the time and they say, you know, I can't find any deals, and I always ask them the question, Well, how many offers did you make this week? And they're like, well, I didn't make any offers this week. Okay, well, how many deals did you analyze this week to find out how much to offer? Well, I didn't analyze any deals. Well, how many leads did you get in this week? Uh, you know, I, I saw some on the MLS. You know, like it's like a pretty basic four-part process that everyone has to go through. They get leads, they analyze them to determine how much to pay for them, they make an offer of how much they can pay and negotiate that, and then they get the deal. Would you agree with that assessment? Like no. at its core? Expand. No. Tell me why. <laughs> so the, re- the reason I wouldn't agree is because you don't analyze a process to see what you can pay for it. That's silly. Okay. Tell me what you do. You find out what they need for the property. Ah, okay. Explain. Why would I, why would, so if, if I can pay ARVs 200K, um, I can pay, it needs 20K in repairs. Um, ARV is after repair value. Once property is all prettied up and all the frou-frou and, and you know, it looks all pretty once it's livable, good condition, and is one of the best houses in the neighborhood. That's what the after repair value is. Yep. So if I go in and I say, okay, ARV is 200K, that means, and, and repairs are 20. That means my buyers are probably going to be willing to pay depending on the area. Now, this is another big thing as the area stuff is in. There's there's neighborhoods where I can still stuff at, uh, in the high 80 percentages. So like 85, 87, 88, 89%, 89 cents on the dollar. I can sell stuff for. Now, I got to know that first of all. So I got to have an idea of that, but I can break all this down. I can get back and say, okay, the absolute most I can pay for this house is $145,000 or whatever that number is. If I go to that person with that number in here, mm-hmm. what do you think I'm going to contract that property for? $145,000. Yep. And I'm going to be able to sell it to somebody for like 150 or whatever that number is, 155. And I'll make five or $10,000. Well, if I do it the other way and I say, how much do you need for your property? What is your need and how can I meet it? Totally different. They say, well, I need $100,000 for it. And I say, okay, well, boom. And, and, then, and then we work towards that and making a deal that works. And so I would argue that the lead comes in, you discover their need, then you analyze the property to make sure you can pay that much for it. Then you contract it. Mm, I like that. I like that. 
I, and I like that you're calling me out on that. You know, I, I, you want you want to dig a little deeper than 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 what I was saying. So that's good. So you I mean and I think a lot of it's a mindset thing. Like you said, if you go to a property knowing you can pay a certain amount in negotiation, it's almost like you're at a weaker position, maybe. Or I mean, I think it's good to know, but like if you naturally know that you can pay 145 and still make a profit, like I probably wouldn't negotiate down to 130. I'd probably negotiate to 145 because in my head, I know that that's all I, you know, that's where it makes sense. So yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at that. And, and I'll give you my, to me, it's all about meeting your needs, meeting their needs, right? If I'm there to help them and they have a need, then what is that need and how can it be met? Well, how you, how you find that out is the, is the process that, that we go through to, to learn that. And so once, once it's learned, we, we then try and meet that need. And I'll give you my perspective as kind of, you know, a more fledgling investor. I've got three properties here, eight units. And, and the, you know, it doesn't occur to me to think of like, oh, what is their need? This is, this is completely new to me, the new perspective on, on this deal flow process, because my deals, I look at through the MLS and I find them and, and I'm, I'm buying them kind of semi-passively once a year. And it's just not in my head to think, oh, what does this person need for the property? Well, they, what they need is their asking price or, or, or somewhere around that, right? And you're just kind of flip that completely on my, like, just completely flip, turn that on the side because if you're finding deals off market and doing this, this mailing piece, of course, they have no idea what their property is worth. They have no idea what their, their, their situation is. They, they're looking to solve their problem and you're figuring out that piece to it. And then everything else is gravy. So, yeah. And, and so our, our goal is to meet the need. So like there's been properties I've contracted on Monday and I've closed on Thursday. I mean, I'm talking like, boom, their need is I cannot have this any longer. And, and that's their need. So I got to meet that need. Screw the price. They don't care about the price. They're like, I, I really don't care. I just cannot own this anymore because it is going to put me in the hospital. OK, I'll take it. You know, so what's, it, what's I, an I example? deal with your problem. What's an example of someone that is that has that kind of need to, to get rid of the property that quickly? Back to those meth heads, man. Those guys <laughs> just ruin lives. But seriously, when when, when your your house becomes like a crack den, and um, and it, you know th- those types of situations when when it's been you know the property's been in the family for a hundred years, and you know mom was living there, mom just died. I can't go back into that house and look at mom's stuff. I just I just need it gone. I don't even care about the money. Just just get it gone. Their need is to have that gone and off their plate. And literally, they don't want to look at it, think about it, smell it, nothing. So my goal is okay. I'll have a mobile notary come to you. You won't do anything. You'll never have to go back. You'll never see the property again. And then we work out the price that works for them and us. And it's got to be a win-win situation, you know. Just their price has to work for me. My price has to work for them. And so that's that's my goal is to find the win-win with everybody. It's it's always about win-win situations. Because if they feel like you're like they're losing, it's not worth it to me. Because I don't want them going around saying, you know, these guys are or whatever, or like writing on the business, better business bureau, or just I don't want to deal with that. So I want to create that win-win situation. I don't want to be the guy that puts people in lose lose situations. That's not doesn't make me feel good at night. Doesn't help me sleep at night. So. It's all about the win-win. And so that's always my goal is to, like I said, meet their needs, discover the need and then meet it. That's awesome. I really like that a lot. Um, so let me, before we go to the fire round, I want to kind of summarize a little bit more of your your system in terms of, if, if you said earlier, you get maybe one to 2% response rate on your postcards. Out of people who call you then, do you have any estimate on what percent of the people who actually call you end up turning into a sale for you or at least turn into a, you know, something that you pursue. And then, you know, like, how does that filter down? Like if you send a hundred thousand letters, 
how does that break down in terms of number of phone calls, number of leads, number of deals, number of closings, all that? So 100,000 postcards go out. That's going to result in between one and 2,000 phone calls. And then of those one or 2,000 phone calls, we're going to probably upload about 100 deals into our CRM. And I'm trying to keep the numbers simple here. So from that 100, we'll probably contract 10 and we'll probably close nine. Okay. And then what's your average profit on one of those? Maybe that's a little low, actually. We'll probably contract 25 and close 22, 20, 22 or so. And their average profit's about 22,000 a deal. Wow. Wow. And how many months have you been doing this? The 100,000 started around April, right? Or is, it, is am I off there? It was, that was March 2016. Your hundred, you started sending 100,000 a month. In oh, March no. Yeah, March, March 2017. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. Our, our growth is very like, we, so right now we're effectively in, in about 25% of the Metroplex. So we can, we can increase this times four what we're doing right now inside DFW. And then we're gonna have to go to another market. Wow. That's awesome. So, that's and incredible. again, I, I just love to see, I, the reason I asked that question, cause I love to see that funnel work out. You know, like if you spend this much, I mean, I, I'm a marketing guy at, at my core. And so like this applies to almost every business in the world is, you know, you, you just work it through that funnel and you find those percentages. And if Man, you can but make it's all about the efficiency of your funnel, mm-hmm. like that's, that's like, th- th- there's a funnel. So training and employees and finding, again, going back to meeting needs, finding your employees. Cause like, I can't, I can't contract that. I can't talk. I can't take a thousand phone calls and then contract these deals and then sell them. You can't do that. So training to me is, and, and creating a, a working environment where people love their job. They understand their job, their job outline and description is crystal clear. The processes that they work through are clear to them that training and creating that environment where people want to come to work. They want to meet goals. They want to deliver for you for their own self-worth. And then also to, to feel like they're contributing to something larger than themselves. That's, that's really what creates an effective funnel because Brandon, you can send out a hundred thousand postcards and you can get a thousand phone calls in, but if you don't know how to negotiate and work that lead, you can end up with one deal a month or you can end up with 50. It's all about like, all right, I think our busiest week, right? Or is three weeks ago, we contracted 33 properties in one week. Wow. It's because our process works. My people know exactly how to do it. And I know how to be a mentor to those people and how to encourage them and elevate them to more than they would be on their own. And so going through that and getting in there and learning what their needs are, understanding and empathizing with them, doing those things as a leader to them, rather than just saying, this is your job, do it or you're fired and I can replace you tomorrow. Like creating that camaraderie and that drive is really, in my opinion, what sets us apart. And the other thing that sets us apart as wholesalers is this is our business. It's not like I'm doing this on the side. And if something comes from a cool and and whatever, this is my focus. And my goal is to be the best at this thing, not to just get by, not to just, oh, if I can get a deal or two a month, that's cool. You know, that, that'll, that'll, that'll cover my expenses and I can go to, I, I can go on a trip or something. That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to create a business and treat it as a business. Like everything is very, it is run like a business, right? like a, a normal medium sized business. It's not a hobby. 
Yeah. And so that, that that's the other, that's another huge key is how efficient can you make your filter? Cause it is, it is a giant filter, but the efficiency of your filter is what sets you apart because you could spend 50,000 a month on marketing and someone else can 50,000 a month on marketing, but who can get the most return for those marketing dollars and how does your system affect that return? Yep. And how do you learn how to do those things? As, as a marketing guy, like I'm, I'm a you know, big believer in tracking those numbers. Like, for example, just like in, if you're listening to this right now, you don't have to memorize all the numbers I'm about to say, but like, let's just say, for example, you sent out a hundred thousand letters and you got the low and you got only 1%. So you got a thousand phone calls and out of them, let's just say you put 10 under contract and out of those 10, you only closed on five of them because five fell through the cracks. And then out of those five, you made five grand a piece. You've now made $25,000 but you spent 50 just to get those postcards out. So now you're losing money. But if you improve just mm-hmm. each step of that funnel and ask the question, how do I get, how do I go from 1% to 2% or even 1% to 1.2% or 1% to 1.5? And you increase that up to let's say 1500 phone calls. And then you would say, okay, out of those 1500, how do I improve the percentage of people that actually put their house under contract? How do I train my team better? How do I do better negotiation? How do I, you know, who do I talk to to get better at negotiation? And you can get that up to, let's say 20. And then out of those 20, let's say you figure out how to close 18 of them. And instead of making five grand a piece, you're making 20 grand a piece because you've, you've increased your negotiation. I mean, you're going from making no money to making three or $400,000 uh, on that spend just by taking each huh? part of your funnel and tweaking it and asking, how do I get this better? And that applies to every business in the world. I mean, I talk to people who own like cleaning businesses. I'm like, okay, well, how many people know about you? How many phone calls do you get? How many of those contracts do you get? Out of them, how many of like, what's your average cost per contract? You know, like, let's just look at the four or five parts of your funnel and ask, how do we get each one of these or the most important parts up a little higher? Mm-hmm. And there's all, it, being able to do that makes you successful at business, not yeah. at real estate. And The thing that a lot of real estate investors miss is real estate is a business. business. And, and when you, we treat it like, oh, well, it's this thing I do on the side or it's, you know, I flip, I, I buy and hold, I do this, I do that, I do this. I do, it's like, man, you got to focus and pick a business. It's not like you get businesses like McDonald's, right? And they take it from growing, they own the farm and they own, they they own everything the whole way through. Right. So there's those guys, but they didn't start out like that. It's like that vertical integration came over years and years and billions and billions and billions of dollars. Like that's where that came in. When you're little, you got to focus and you focus on that one thing like a laser and you just keep pushing through. And then once you're really good at that thing, you could add something else. So like for us, maybe once we're really good at this, we also do private money lending or maybe we, we hire crews and, you know, construction managers and we do flipping. But for right now, it is laser focus on wholesaling. And do I want to do other things in real estate? Absolutely. It's that shiny object syndrome you guys talk about from time to time. It's like you got to focus on this one thing and make this one thing your business. And then once that's your business and that's sustainable and you're spending three or four hours a week on it because every system's in place, every manager's in place, everything is in place you need, then yeah, okay, let's look at doing something else. But until you're to that point, focus. And so it's so whimsical. I feel like with some of these guys like, yeah, if I can get a wholesale deal, I'll wholesale it. If I can't, I'll flip it. And if I can't do that, it's like, so you're just doing everything then. Right. Cause like, there's no system that can cover all this unless you're like a closet multi, like hundred million dollar net worth person who don't appear to be at all. And so that's the thing that they're missing is it's like, Focus. Just, you know, if you want to be an agent, be an agent and be the best agent you can be. If you want to, whatever part of it you want to do, 
do that part. Don't do other parts until you've got the scalability to do it and the systems to support doing it. That's so true. Is my opinion. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I think that applies directly to every single person that is attempting to run a business or go in, go into entrepreneurship. And even, even for me, real estate, I would say, I would say real, I treat real estate like a hobby. Uh, real estate, I, my full-time job is here at Bigger Pockets, helping grow this website. That's, that's the business that I'm in and operating. And for me, I'm not treating my business, my real estate stuff like a business. That's why I'm acquiring one property every year and paying, you know, MLS price and, got my license and that kind of stuff. So I'm dipping into these things. So for you, it's a retirement plan. Mm -hmm. It sounds like to me, like what I'm hearing is like, that's my retirement plan. I'm going to have these properties. I'm going to have tenants that pay them off for me. And then once they're done, it can retire. I I can retire using some of that money. And it's a great plan that totally works when you're setting it up to work that way. Um, But if you want to make money in real estate as a real estate investor and have that be your income, it has to be your full-time thing and you have to focus on certain things. And the big mistake I made at first was like, I'll flip this one. I'll buy and hold this one. We'll do this. We'll do that. And I just kept focusing and focusing and focusing. And now the growth is like so rapid. Like we can barely keep up and it's because we're so focused and we've learned how to do what we do so well. That's cool. So where, where are you headed? I mean, last question before the fire round, where are you headed next? I mean, how big do you want to scale, scale this business? I mean, are you getting the financial freedom that you want? I mean, where is one's enough enough? Can you talk to that for a minute? So we were talking about this last week. Um, we're thinking a few different directions and it's, we, we want to see the time commitments that all those mean, because uh, we've discovered that the most valuable thing we have is our time. And um, money, we can make more money, but time, you can't get more time. And so we're trying to manage our time as carefully as we can. And we're just not sure of the amount of time and uh, that it's going to take to open another area. So we thought about going into other markets with this wholesaling because we have a process that works. We know that now we know our process works and it's always getting better. And because it's always getting better, it's always working better and making even more money. And so we need to figure out if we want to take that process into other areas and grow it, keeping, keeping our focus laser focused and adding more areas to it. Or if we want to take another approach and go uh, more broad. So um, more vertically integrating things like rather than selling all of our properties, we'd keep, you know, three or five a month and flip those and do, you know, 60 flips a year or something like that. We, We can go that route and stay in DFW or we can go scaling the business we're in and half of it is a time thing. The other half is a boredom thing. You know, we got to keep it interesting and keep, keep passion there. And so I'm not sure which direction we're going to go right now. Okay. We, we will pick a direction. Um, but our goal right now is to get it to that point. I was telling y'all about was we need to be in that three to five hour a week position where we're not working more than that. And, and then we'll really look at, okay, are we going to go to the next market or are we going to move into flipping or something else? And so we, we decide we're going to, we're going to figure that out when we get to that point. Sounds like you've given yourself a good problem. (laughs) Yes, that's a good problem. I can't complain about that problem. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's uh, shift gears here a little bit and head over to the world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round.
Here's a little insider-only knowledge from my days on the force. Most break-ins actually happen in broad daylight. And if you're enjoying more time out and about, your home could be in danger. So what you're saying, David, is that we should block out the sun to reduce break-ins. I like it. Oh, you've been watching too much Interstellar again, Rob. (laughs) You can just use Simply Safe to protect your home 24-7. They were even named Best Home Security Systems of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. Simply Safe's advanced sensors and cameras protect every room, window, and door in my home, keeping the little Abisolo safe no matter where I am. Plus, you know we're frugal, guys. That's why we love Simply Safe's super affordable 24-7 professional monitoring that costs less than a dollar a day. Now, I don't worry when I'm away. You can even test out Simply Safe risk-free with their 60-day trial. Protect your home today. Bigger Pockets listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for fast protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/pockets. Don't wait, that's simplysafe.com/pockets. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as quantum fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability, service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from Price for Life offer and may be increased. Your competitors are fighting for your customers' attention. So how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it, because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. For those people who are not regular listeners of the show, the Fire Round is a segment of the show where we pull the questions directly out of the Bigger Pockets forums and we ask them to our guest. So, Lance, number one, if you had this person had has thirty minutes of free consultations with an accountant, so they said, what should I ask them? I have thirty minutes of money free. on your taxes. How to save money on your taxes? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> You know, that's a really broad question. What are your goals? You know, I would first determine your goals. Once you know your goals, ask the accountant what he recommends tax wise with getting there. If he's not a financial planner, if he's just a tax accountant, focus on how he can save you money on taxes, how you can adjust money in different areas and what tools you can use to reach whatever goals you've decided you have. So I'd 100% know your goals before you go in. Be able to explain those goals quickly and clearly and be able to explain where you're at quickly and clearly and then say, here's where I want to be. Here's where I am. How do I get there and what tools can benefit me and what do I need to know about those tools before making a purchase or selling uh, assets in order to protect those assets? That's 
I don't know. That's not really my ballpark, but that's what I would do if I was going into a meeting. But I'd also just probably pay the accountant whatever I needed to have whatever time I need to have whatever advice I need to further as much as possible. And that, that to me is a big deal, like having a really good attorney, really good accountant, really good financial planner, 100 percent, thousand percent worth the money. So I would well, pay them. So I have more time with my, I guess, short answer. <laughs> All right. There you go. I like it. I think that's great advice, and I think that applies to all these different fields. If you go in there and know nothing about accounting or finance in general, and then it, and say, "What do I do?" You're going to get you pay a lot of money for some very generic advice. So I think there's also mm-hmm. a component of, "Hey, know at least enough to ask intelligent questions yeah. for your man." So true. Yeah. So so true. So the second, the next question here is. Hi, I've currently started marketing for wholesale deals and received a lot of great deals, but I'm hitting a wall building my buyers list. I try to make all the uh, all the meetups, and sometimes my work schedule conflicts with them. But I know that there's other wholesalers who have bigger buyer lists than me. What are some strategies I can use to build this? Buy a bigger buyers list. Yeah. You say buy right. a, seriously? Buy, buy a bigger yeah. buyers list. Talk to other talk to other wholesalers. Be like, hey, bro, I'll buy your buyers list. That's one way. Trade buyers list is another way. Put out good, legitimate properties that are actual deals and market them on Craigslist, Invested Connector, Bigger Pockets. Market them everywhere you can. Facebook, Twitter, everywhere you can possibly market properties. Market them. And anytime anybody responds, have things set up so that they're automatically added to your buyers list. I mean, we've we've grown our buyers list. I think our buyers list right now is about 20,000 people, Twenty ish thousand. And we add thousand people a month to our buyers list because we're putting out quality, quality properties. They're not daisy chained BS deals that nobody wants. They're real deals that come from us. They're sourced from us. I'm not remarketing a property that's been marketed by 17 other people. And there's 20 people in the middle making money. They're my deals that I contract. If anybody else tries and wholesales them, I get all over them and let them know they're breaking the law. And it is completely illegal to try and wholesale my deal without equitable interest in that property. And so my goal is to present that quality to people. And then they join my buyers list naturally because everybody wants the deals. Yeah. Deals is the biggest, is the biggest bottleneck right now in real estate. And so I've got the deals. And so I have no problem building my buyers list because another thing that you guys constantly preach is money finds deals. And so because I have the deals and I don't let other people market them, I get, I get the direct result of that, which is an increased buyers list. That's so, so true. Yeah. People, there's several ways to do it. People complain they don't have a buyer's list. And I'm like, well, no, it's not that you don't have a buyer's list. You don't have a deal. Like if you have a deal, yeah. I'm, I can guarantee you, if you have a good deal, you can find it. A lot of people want to buy it. I mean, just go throw it up on the bigger pockets marketplace and you'll have a hundred people in 10 minutes if it's a good enough deal, but you don't have a deal. That's why you don't have a list. So I, I think people, yep. would you agree people spend too much time focusing on building their buyer's list rather than deals? I see that a lot. Too much time focusing on BS excuses. Oh, I don't have business cards. I don't have a website. I don't have this. I don't have that. Revenue first position. If if you're not focusing on revenue, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Like once you've got a whole business in place, you can hire people to focus on other things, but you have to be single minded to revenue the whole time because that's what pays these people you're trying to take care of. That's what creates a system that can help people who are in need. Of, of selling their homes. It's, it's what creates everything is that revenue in first position. And if you lose that from first position at any time, uh, you're risking losing your business. Yeah, so true. I love it. All right, next question. I am trying to wholesale deals, but I'm finding, and I'm finding great deals, but how do I place the deals under contract without a proof of funds letter? I actually get that question a well, lot from people. Well, first of all, 
I have contracted more properties than this individual. I don't know who they are, how many properties yep. they've contracted, <laughs> but because they're asking that question, I know it's less. Yep. I've never, ever, ever on a non MLS deal on a deal I've got from marketing, I've never had to provide proof of funds and I've contracted properties over a million dollars. Never been asked that question because there's no agent involved. Yep. Once you have an agent involved, it becomes much more difficult to make money in the deal. In my opinion, there's deals on MLS. Don't get me wrong. I told you a story about one of my first deals, which was an MLS deal, but I've never come up against that. I've never had anybody ask me for proof of funds. So if, if they do, and you do need to get a proof of funds letter and it is a real deal, there's hard money lenders that will give them to you same day. I would reach out, make sure you've got a good network of hard money lenders who can give you those proof of funds letters. Um, private money is an even better way to go. If you can find private money, private money investors that will get a, a bank letter that they've got those funds and those funds are guaranteed to you upon closing of the property, that, that's another good way to go. Very cool. And of course, we have a hard money lender directory on BiggerPockets. It's free to go to. Just go to biggerpockets.com slash hard money lenders. And we try to compile every hard money lender in the country we can find. There are hundreds and hundreds of them on there. And I know Scott Trench has kind of lead, has been leading that for the last couple of years. And Scott, you've done a really good job at that. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Nice plug. Yeah. There um, you go. <laughs> All right. Last question of the fire round. What is the best way to find contractors in this busy market? Do trial on the air. There's, there's, I mean, there's, there's all these like secrets, like what's his name? Jay Scott. Is that his yeah. name? Yep. He's like, go to Home Depot at six in the morning. Yep. You know, there's, I've, I've had good and bad contractors I've had, and I don't, I don't have a good method when, when you do find somebody that works. So my advice is take care of them because you're going to go, you're going to waste, you're going to not, you're going to waste, you're going to spend a lot of money on the wrong guys. And, and that money is going to be lost and you're going to get burned. And so that's, that's another thing that you need to just count on. You're going to get burned. And so once you do find that good guy, don't, don't beat him up. I'm all about negotiation. I am negotiation is like what sets real estate apart for me. Like negotiation is everything that is the key to real estate, but your contractor, in my opinion, that's one area where if they're being outlandish, yeah, I'll call them out and I'll be like, come on, man. Like, let's be legitimate. Like we, we both know that it doesn't cost that. But otherwise, I, I just try and pay whatever they're asking unless it's really crazy because, you know, they've, get, they've gotten me out of a lot of jams. And finding that person that's, that's good, that's worth keeping around is, is so expensive and hard that just once you got them, take care of them. I love, I, I love that point. And with negotiation, I, there's two types of negotiation, I think. There's a negotiation you do for a property with someone that you're never going to see again, right? You know, there, you, could, you could afford to kind of Get, work really hard on the details of that. If it's, if you're, if, if that's material to the, the, the numbers in that property. Right. But then there's the other type of negotiation is with these long-term folks that you're working with, you know, repeatedly over many months or years, and you do not want to be known as a tough negotiator in that relationship. If there's, if that's a mutual to mutual benefit. So there's, there's kind of that back and forth there. You want to have that, that good thing going, I think in certain types of relationships. And of course, you know, defend yourself and oh. others. Yeah, I would take it a step further. And I'd say there's negotiation where you're negotiating to create a deal. So you've got a win-win situation, right? There's mm -hmm. that type of negotiation. And, and that should always be the goal of negotiation. When you're doing negotiation with the contractor to create a win-lose situation, that's when you're going to get yourself in trouble. Worth anybody. It doesn't have to be a con anybody. When you're trying to create a win-lose so you want to win and the other person wants to lose, I've been on both on both ends of that negotiation. Um, and either side, it doesn't, you don't come out feeling good after. So I try and always avoid that now. 
I've made that mistake and I've learned from it and said, okay, I need to win-win negotiate every time. And if I can't figure out how to create that win-win, there's no deal here. And so that, I, I totally agree with you. There's, there's those long-term relationships you want to maintain, but at the end of the day, whether I'm never going to see somebody again, they're still, you know, a human being that's got real problems and things they're trying to deal with. And I still need to make sure that I'm putting, not putting them in a loose situation at the end of that negotiation. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. I love so it. All right. I know this is, I know this is fire round, but one, one thing right. I want to just kind of point out on this is when you get really good at negotiation, like if you read after Michael Quarles podcast was like 87 or something like 83, where he like does his like um, his Jedi mind tricks where he's like, you yeah. will sell me this house, you know? <laughs> and, and there's people commenting and saying, you know, that's unethical. And I don't feel good doing that and that sort of thing. And it's like, it really is kind of like, uh, like I've heard that when you're like a black belt martial artist, it's like your hands are like weapons. And so if you use them in a bad way, like, and commit a crime and hurt somebody, you're held to a higher standard. I feel like it's the same thing with negotiation because literally all day, every day I negotiate. And so it's like, I'm becoming a negotiation ninja. And so I can use it unethically at times if I want to, but choosing to not do that and to put myself in a position of, yeah, I could make an extra 2000 bucks or 4,000 bucks, but in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter. What matters is that these people feel like they're treated fairly and it's a win-win situation. If you're not doing that and you're trying to use things to your advantage to create a loose situation for somebody, you suck. (laughs) That's all I got to say. That's not cool. You know, it's not, it's not right. So I I, I love that. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, uh, I mean, man, I I feel like I want to spend forever talking about negotiation with you now, but uh, we'll have you back on the show sometime soon and talk about negotiation, but we got to get over to do a negotiation battle between like, you got to find the best guys and (laughs) just do like negotiation battles. And because I would love to negotiate with like any of these guys that are amazing because there's some really good guys you brought on the show that I'm really impressed with what they say and how they say it. I would love to see if I can throw down with them. That would be the highlight of my year. Let's talk to Mindy about making that a thing. We do a whole show just on negotiation, a whole podcast episode and, and bring yeah, in three that would or four be guys. Super fun. All right. That would be super fun. Okay, we're going to make that happen. So uh, we'll tell Mindy. Let's I head call, over. I call being on that podcast. I, <laughs> I totally dibs that. My <laughs> idea, I could be on it. Okay. You'll be on it. You'll be on it. All right. <laughs> yes. Let's head over to the world famous. Famous for. The famous four. These questions are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. And because you've listened to all the episodes of the podcast, including some of them multiple times, You've heard these hundreds of times. So uh, number one, uh, Lance, what is your favorite real estate book? Okay, caveat on this one. Okay. I read this before Donald Trump was president or before he was running for president, okay? It's Trump's Down Negotiations by George Ross. Phenomenal book. If you, Brandon, you're saying you want to up your negotiation game, read it, then reread it, and then reread it five more times. That book um, then th- I wouldn't put this on my like four list, but another great book. And I think you mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago with Joe Fairless that you're reading Crucial Conversations. Yep. So combining Crucial Conversations and Donald Trump's Trump Style Negotiation book or George Ross's Trump Style Negotiation book, those two have just, those give you the tools to negotiate that you need, in my opinion. And then, um, but Trump Style Negotiation is all about the huge deals that Donald Trump has done and little tiny things in negotiation like, George Ross was a Donald Trump's attorney and someone's calling him like he calls somebody. They don't answer. Then they call back. He doesn't answer. He always wants to be the one calling them 
because he always wants to have his A game ready when he's doing that negotiation. So it's like, that's a really small thing. But if when you actually do it and, and practice it and you've got your numbers laid out in front of you, you got your data, you got your comps up, you got everything that you need to be on top of your game in that negotiation, that one little thing can be tens of thousands of dollars different for everybody in the outcome because it's all there and you're ready. If you've got kids in the car and you're answering your phone, there's kids crying in the background and you're trying to do that negotiation, you're already you're already toast. So that that, that book has been this has been amazing. That's fantastic. Nice. So that, that sounds to me like that, that those might have been real estate and business books there. Do you have any other, you know, the second question obviously is favorite business book. Do you have anything else to add to business that? Business book. So yeah. So my favorite business book, um, Multipliers is my favorite business book. And it's all about helping people to become more than they, than, than they know they can be. And being the person in the room that helps people to have growth and, and to love their job and to get as much out of them more than they know they had. And then another book that I would say is also crucial to small businesses and, you know, the type of people who listen to this podcast is Traction. That's another great book that can help you with organizing your business and setting up the systems and procedures you need. Cool. Awesome. What hobbies do you do? What do you do when you're not doing building huge real estate businesses? Man, I've got a two and a five-year-old. So those those are the hobbies. We go boating a lot. We love going out on the boat. There's no waves in Texas. So, you know, surf boat in Texas with a little... Nice little like waist high wave behind you is about as good as it gets. So uh, we do that a lot and then travel. Uh, we love traveling. We try and go at least two or three times a year somewhere fun and, and, and travel. So those are kind of the my kids, family and travel and, and boating, I guess. Very cool. All right. My last question of the day. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail or never get started? Self-discipline. Hands down, having the self-discipline to grind out and do whatever it takes to make it happen, that, that is what it's all about. Because at the end of the day, it's how, how disciplined are you? Like sometimes I'm not very disciplined, right? I make 80,000 or 90,000 or whatever in that month and I buy a Tesla. That's not good self-discipline. Having a self-discipline to reinvest that money and only pull out money and, and, and do things it's, it's so deep to me. Like, uh, there's, what's his name? Miracle morning. He was on the show. Hell, uh, that book hell, is yeah. amazing. Yeah. That, that's a, that book is amazing. Having the self-discipline to wake up at, at four or five in the morning and do those things every morning and not just for a day or a week or a month, but for years, like that's the other thing going back to what I did. The biggest thing that I changed when my son was born, I quit my job is I started waking up that day at 5 a.m. every morning and doing the miracle morning every morning. And my vision board is almost completely realized now, 18 months later. Like it is having that self-discipline is everything like, oh, it's five o'clock. I want to be done working, but I've got 20 more calls to make and I'm going to grind those out and do them because I have the self-discipline to do that. It, it infects every facet of your life, every angle of everything. It's all goes back to your self-discipline. How much do you want it and what are you willing to do it? And how disciplined are you to get there? Can you force yourself to do what is needed? And if you can't, that's why you're not being successful is because you don't, you haven't cultivated that self-discipline in yourself. I love it. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Where can people find out more about you? Bigger pockets. I'm on bigger pockets. I was pretty active at one point. I'm less so now. 
I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And you can call me 469-301-2354. You sure you want to do that? <laughs> I'm sure I want to do that. If you got something to add, um, you want to you want to buy buy deals with us. DFW is is arguably the best market in the country to buy deals in right now. Um, the growth and whatnot that is occurring in DFW is incredible. And um, there, you've got appreciation and you can find on the MLS, you can find 1%. You can even find 2% if you're willing to go into the war zones in DFW still. I mean, and we're yeah. talking three, five minutes from South da- or from Dallas and South Dallas, like downtown, like $100 million buildings, three minutes away, 2% deal. Crazy. Yeah, I put, I put together here. this market index every year um, about like the best top 50 metros to, uh, that for investors. And it's basically a combination of before expenses, cash flow versus purchase price. So one or 2% deals, that kind of stuff. And then appreciation and price. And Dallas has topped the list and it, it topped it in 2015 and topped it in 2016. And I'm about to do it again this year, or the next couple of weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if it's right up there again here in yeah. 2017. So, so yeah, that's, I mean, people want to reach out. They have something they want to add or, or be involved in some way. Maybe they're, you know, this show could produce a lot. Cause like I told you a little while ago, I don't know which direction we're going. Maybe someone hears this show and says, Hey, I want to be just like him and I'm in Milwaukee and I want to wholesale. I want to do their process and maybe we partner with them and maybe we, we introduce our process into their market and have them help, you know, spearhead that or something. I, who knows what can come from it. Right. So I'm open to anything and that cell phone number will, uh, will ring kind of like our marketing number. So you, you, you will be able to get to me if, uh, if you got something worth hearing, I'll be happy to talk to you and uh, me or my business partner. So awesome. we're, I'm always open. All right. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, Lance, this has been incredible. This has been definitely one of the longer shows we've done because there's so much to unpack here, but really appreciate Sorry. you coming on. No, it's very good. I mean, yeah. we could, we could have gone on for I, I five hours. <laughs> it's good. You've had, you've had an amazing journey, especially the last 18 months have been just like a rocket ship for your business. So, uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you guys. I, I love being on the show and it was great talking to you. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. And that was our show with Lance. Thank you so much, Lance, for being on the show. Lance Wakefield, uh, super, super motivating, super, super uh, powerful show. Don't you think, Scott? Oh, it was fantastic. This guy has, well, he started out trying to do it all. I was going yep. to say he's, he hasn't, he has not <laughs> done it all. He's, he's tried to do it all and yeah. he's found exactly the area, the system that he can focus on and scale and has become the best in his market at that particular knit yep. uh, niche and is really built something incredible because of that. So niche, 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 niche. What do niche, you say? Niche, niche. I say niche. You say niche. niche potato, potato, niche. whatever. No, but I agree. I agree. I think that I think the focus thing is so key, especially when you're getting started. Like so many people get that shiny object and every episode of the podcast brings them a new thing that they want to get into. Uh, I've really been trying to put that into play in my life this year. I'm like, I want to buy a mobile home park, 50 units to 100 units somewhere in the US. Like that is my like focus. And I'm, I'm turning down almost everything else that comes to me. What about you? Like what's your focus this year? Huh. So I, I, my focus this year was I wrote a book. That's so true. I just, I just completed, uh, uh, writing that book set for life. Uh, that came out in, in mid April and I'm kind of refocusing, you know, there's the writing, yep. there's several parts to that there's writing the book, then there's promoting the book. And now that's kind of put, putting on autopilot. So I'm actually kind of redoing my, my goals right now, but I'm closing on a, a fourplex and I'm going to kind of figure out the next thing as soon as that's closed. Very so. cool. Well, I'm excited about that fourplex for you. That's going to be awesome. So cool. All right. Well, I don't know. You got anything else? Should we get out of here? 
Yeah, we can get out of here. Um, <laughs> things things are going well. Life life is good. It's summertime, Fourth of July. Happy birthday, America! Happy and birthday. Two hundred forty-one years old. <laughs> Not that I'm uh, counting. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for being a part of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Of course, stay around after the music, and you get to hear the random six from our guest today as kind of a little bonus. So stick around for that, and we'll see you guys next week. Scott, Bigger Pockets podcast. This is Scott Trench signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. It's time for... It's time for... It's time for... The Random Five. All right, now for the random six that we've uh, started adding here at the end of the show. These are just six random questions we're going to throw at you and just get to know you a little bit more on a more personal level. You ready, Lance? Ready. All right, number one. Do you use, this is kind of related to a question you answered earlier, but do you, do you use an alarm clock or do you wake up naturally? I wake up naturally. At, at an early time. What time? Usually yeah. you said five, six, four. Five. So I, I honestly, I just got my self-discipline spiel I let out, but lately it's <laughs> probably been between six and 6.15. So, but yeah, I, I naturally, I was waking up naturally at 5 a.m. for a long time. And then I got, I got baby duty for a while and yeah. that just... I killed it. The same thing happened so. to me. Yeah. As soon as I was, I was doing really good at like four 30 or five and then the baby came and I'm getting back yeah. into the, uh, that's what I'm working towards right now. Yep. It's getting back in. So I'm like earlier and earlier. And my goal is to be at five by the end of next month. Nice. I want to be starting September when school starts. I want to be 5am that way. I've got the gym and all those things done by the time the kids wake up. Hey, are you on Twitter? Are you on Twitter? Uh, no, but I think our business is, but it might Uh, be, I don't know. I was going to say people should tweet you and hit you up here on, on, uh, what September 1st and make sure that you've hit that. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah, they should. Someone's got to hold me accountable. Yeah, we're holding you to that. So we'll hit you up somewhere. We're going to make sure. All right. Next question. I'll, I'll make sure we have a Twitter. I'll get it to you. Okay. Next question is star Wars or star Trek. Oh, star Wars all day long, man. I agree. I agree. Uh, do you have a secret? Do you have a secret talent? Not really. I have freakishly good memory. Like I've memorized like books and stuff and like pie, like I have pie memorized. Oh, wow. Like to, I don't know, like 50 or a hundred decimal points. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I have a really good memory. It was, it was like up on the classroom in sixth grade. They had like pie, like written around the whole classroom and school was always really boring for me. And so I memorized pie, just That's like funny. chilling there. Cause everyone was doing their work and I was done. I was just like, <laughs> and I memorized fine. I still haven't memorized. So like I have a really good memory, I guess. I don't know. I'll call that a three point one four one five nine. Athletes do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> good job, Scott. Sure. Go. <laughs> all right. Next one. Uh, what is your dream vehicle? I'm driving it, man. I love a Tesla. I love it. I've got kids. So like having a Lamborghini or Ferrari or whatever would be, would be cool. But I got kids and I'd rather spend time with them, dude. My Tesla's a freaking minivan too. If seat seven, like it's awesome. So the Model S has the those rear facing jumper seats in the yep. back. It's my little minivan and I can race Lamborghinis and still beat them. But <laughs> uh but uh, I can have the whole family with me while I do it. So I love even it. though the wife gets mad when I race people, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, it's all right. We won't tell. All right. Uh my my last uh, question up here. What's your favorite dessert? Oh, ice cream. What kind? 
and specifically speculose ice cream. It's amazing. I never had it. Speculos is this, uh, it's like a Biscoff biscuit. I think they give them on like Delta or American airlines or something. Yeah. They're these kind of, uh, like ginger snap biscuits and they're, yeah, they're a really Delta, big thing in Belgium. Delta does it. Cause I get them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I fly Delta a lot. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. And so they have that like in an ice cream where you can buy it at Trader Joe's and that ice cream is just on point. That is, oh. that is the deal right there. So I actually, so I, um, I owned a restaurant in Utah and I went to Italy and uh, was trained in making gelato by like Italian professionals. I had like a $40,000 gelato machine and I could make the best speculose gelato, but I don't have a (laughs) $40,000 gelato machine anymore. So Trader Joe's is the best thing. All right. All right. Last question, Scott. If you could choose any time period to live in, what would that be? I feel like now is pretty comfortable and I like that. Um, but it, it, you know, in the, in the spirit of the question, it'd be pretty cool to be alive during like world war two, like the greatest generation. I, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that happened. Uh, you know, if you're born in like the 1920s and kind of seeing all that, there's a lot of really cool history that I would appreciate. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I, w- I always think how amazing it would be to like be born in 1920 and die in, you know, let's say 2010, like that, life, like the transformation from that to that, like, it's unbelievable. I mean, like unbelievable, like yeah, how much my grandpa's happened. 96. He's still alive. He was born in 1921 yeah. and it's crazy talking to him. Like yeah. he's like, yeah, back when I was in, he was in training in San Diego and he's like, yeah, I could buy a house for $10,000. And I was like, I can't afford that is on a Coronado Island in San Diego. And I'm like $10,000, <laughs> like the same house is like $4 million now. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So it's, it's been a, it's been a ride since then. It has yeah, been. just the contributions that people made yep. in those years to yeah. bettering the world, especially, in, in, uh, but you know, yep. they're fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being part of our random six. Thanks guys. Braving the real estate investing journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers right? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if you lose your job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. And that's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from the small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head on over to biggerpockets.com slash enroll me today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enroll me. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.